Well, I've got a suggestion. Why don't we go into an emergency business meeting right quick and make a motion that we never observe daylight savings times again. Can I get a motion? Do I have a second? All in favor? Yes. Man, this one was hard. <laughs> this one was hard. Hard week, hard, just hard all the way around. So thank you so much uh, for being here this morning and preparing. Are you ready to eat from the Gospel of Luke today? Can I get a witness? All right, I am, I am ready as well. It has been a, uh, been, a, been a good beginning study. Today you will get a lot of introductory information. Uh, let me encourage you not to try to scribble out a whole bunch of notes because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a lot of information. And I promise you, I know I've made these promises in the past and broke them, but I promise you that I will send you these, these notes, this sermon outline uh, at some point over the next 24 hours uh, so that you don't have to scramble and, and, uh, and write all this down. If, if we don't have your email address on file at the church, uh, just be sure and write it on a piece of paper and just set it on the desk outside uh, if you want these notes, and we'll be sure to, to get them to you. Uh, so let's begin. The name of the message today, this is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and it is that you may know the truth, that you may be certain that you know the truth. I want to begin with a, a personal uh, experience, personal thing here. Uh, in 2016, after eight grueling years of research, uh, drafting and revising, I actually completed and successfully defended my doctoral thesis at seminary. Now, as the date of graduation grew, grew near, I was contacted by the doctoral office and given some final instructions about the final version of the dissertation, which I was not aware of. They told me that within the final version that I could dedicate my dissertation to as many people that would fit on the cover sheet. You've seen that before, like in a book on that open thing. Well, I, I didn't really realize that, that they did that on, on dissertations. And so after much thought and prayer, uh, this is what I wrote on there. Remember, this was in 2016, so Parkway wasn't even a thought, okay? So don't judge me by what this says. You're not in here, okay? Okay. <clears throat> just want to just prep you for that, okay? To Angie and Logan, Mary, Micah, and Chloe, my treasure in Christ, and to the Konefkis, the definition of sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. And Woodland Baptist Church, my Philippi, and anyone who has been terminated from service without cause, God will vindicate you in time. That's what it said. So I basically gave thanks to my family, to Angie predominantly, amen, sister, paid my way through seminary, supported me. <laughs> You know, just, you know, put up with me for how many years now? 20 plus years, still putting up with me by the grace of God. And uh, then I, I gave uh, credit to my children because they were there too. And then to the Konefkis, which is a family that is still very good friends of ours. And, and uh, they just, uh, they were just wonderful. So I dedicated my dissertation to my wife and children, to the Konefkis, a family that stood by us through an experience that I can only call hell on earth while serving a church in Indianola, Mississippi. Uh, to the most recent church I served for seven years, Woodland Baptist, that reestablished us in ministry, and to the unknown soldier, who was any minister that has been terminated from their place of service without cause, God will vindicate you in time. Uh, that, that dissertation was born in adversity. Uh, that, that dissertation, I, I really struggled with, with what I would write on for the first two years that I was doing cohort groups at, at seminary. And during that time frame was when we went through that tribulation and, and, it, and it occurred to me 
that what happened to me had happened to a lot of other men and women as well in the faith. Uh, to be unjustifiably removed from your place of service. And what I mean by that is, there was no public discussion, there was no group meeting that you were invited to and given an opportunity to defend yourself. They were blanket, empty, false accusations, and they just bought into it, and they said they showed you your way to the door, and that was it. No recourse, no credible witnesses, nothing. And so my dissertation that God moved me to do came out of my heart. It was not some academic pursuit, but an actual life event that changed me and my wife forever. I would give you this morning that is exactly why the Gospel of Luke and Acts is in our Bible today. I would say that Luke the Gentile at some point in his life came across the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it so drastically affected his life that he dedicated a large portion of his life to writing of the things that he had heard and reported through the apostles and Paul and the other stories and the oral traditions and the writings that he had found. And so I would subscribe to you this morning that, that when I wrote what I wrote on that second page of that dissertation and what Luke wrote in the first few verses of his gospel are very similar in that they can be called a dedicatory preface. Both openings show who the work is dedicated to and what we hope to accomplish in just a few words. Join me in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke writes, Inasmuch, how many of y'all have written that lately? Anybody? Okay. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Anybody here know anybody named Theophilus? I'm just curious. Okay. I don't. This guy, whoever he was. That you may have what? Certainty. I don't know about you. That's why I'm here today. That's why I'm standing in this pulpit preaching the gospel. That's why this Bible is right here. That's why I, I'm in that office down the hallway. That is why Colton and Clayton are here. Hopefully that is why you, you're here, amen? Because you have certainty. There, there's a lot of things in life we don't have certainty about, like when our stimulus check's coming, amen? <laughs> I bet y'all wear that get your payment status out over the next couple of days, waiting for the moment that your, your bank balance just suddenly increases. By the way, why, why didn't the IRS just give us an opportunity to just go out there and say, hey, give the money to somebody else? I mean, I don't need it. I can use it, but I don't need it. I know a lot of people do, but, but, but we're blessed. We just don't need it. But, but why didn't they just give us the, off, the opportunity to, like, go out and click a button and say, send me half, send me a third, send me three quarters? It's just strange. Now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we have heard... The opening verses of an ancient document that goes to great lengths to tell the truth about Jesus Christ. 
Many around the world and throughout history claim this document to be one of the most accurate and prolific pieces of historical literature the world has ever been given. Over the next several months, we at Parkway Baptist Church have the great privilege, you do realize that, the great privilege and honor of studying this book, this gospel in depth, freely without persecution. In your favorite translation, amen? Of course, here it'll be the ESV. But it is a great privilege and honor to read and study this book verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And as hopefully, hopefully, you now understand the book of Hebrews better than you ever have in your life, hopefully, you will understand Luke the same. That is the goal of your pastor teachers the goal of your pastor teachers in your church is that when you come here and you sit under our teaching, whether you like it or not, you ain't always going to like it, but, but whether you like it or not, that when you come here and you study and you hear the word preached and taught, that you leave knowing it better than when you came the first time. That's the goal. To grow you up in knowledge so that you can then therefore apply it to your life. That's what we're doing here. So who is Luke? Who is he? This is when I say Dr. Hendrickson to the rescue. Uh, Dr. Hendrickson is a scholar. You can, you can Google him. Uh, his commentary is a primary source to me. I have to give him credit for the citations I'm going to use today. He by far, by far gave the most concise, clear summary of who Luke is was and the scriptures that define who he was than anyone else I found. So you will hear from him. The name Luke occurs only three times in the New Testament. Three times. Colossians 4.14 is the go-to scripture that most New Testament scholars use as proof that Paul knew him and that he was a doctor and a physician and part of his cohort, his missionary cohort as he traveled. Colossians 4.14, Luke the beloved physician greets you, as does Demas. 2 Timothy 4.11 says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Philemon 24, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So, Parkway Baptist Church scholars, amen? Okay. As you hear the names of those three epistles, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Philemon, whose name pops to mind? Paul. Immediately, the text tells you that Paul and Luke had a relationship. They traveled together. They did missionary work together. Most of the way that me and your other associate pastors and ministers do here. On a daily basis for long stretches of time, they shared fellowship with one another and did ministry together. We see that. It is, it's, in, it's irrefutable. It is, in, it is in the text. Luke was Paul's travel companion. And because of this, Luke's gospel, as I love the way Dr. Hendrickson says this, Luke's gospel breathes 
the spirit of Paul's theology. Do you like that? Breathes the spirit of Paul's theology. Luke was in Rome during both of Paul's imprisonments, as we noted above. Uh, all of those are prison epistles pretty much. So his theological similarities between Luke and Paul, the first one that is very interesting is, is he says, Luke as Paul, they both say that salvation is universal, yet also particular. Salvation is universal, yet also particular. Salvation and justification given as a free gift of God imparted by his sovereign grace to men regardless of nationality, sex, race, age, or social position. In that sense, the gospel is what? Universal. However, however, it is also particular in that no one but who will inherit salvation through faith. Those that believe in Jesus Christ, period. You don't believe that, you don't need to be in here because that's what we believe. That's what Baptists believe. That's what we believe since, we, since we've existed. Salvation comes no other way but by through who? Jesus Christ alone. Faith and belief in him, period. Luke chapter 2 is evidence to this. This is Simeon at the temple after Christ's birth. Simeon looked upon Jesus and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Nobody argues that Jesus didn't come for the Jews because what was Jesus? What was his ethnicity? Jew. The complication is the Gentile. We know that clearly from the scripture. But what you see here is that Luke shares Paul's thoughts in theology that the Old Testament testified to the reality that the Gentile, there was a plan for the Gentiles to also be included in the plan of God. Amen to that, because what are, what are we? Yeah, exactly, hallelujah. So salvation is universal yet particular. Another one is that Paul's emphasis on prayer is also found in Luke. 17 references to prayer. I'll just give you two. Luke chapter 1, verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. We'll study that next Sunday. Luke 18, 1 through 8, the prayer of the persistent widow. So all through the gospel of Luke, just like in Paul's letters, we see this overarching theme of prayer. Paul's truth also, number three, that Christ is Lord is also found in Luke. That is a Trinitarian doctrine. Trinitarian doctrine. He is not only Savior, he is what? Lord. All the Gospels include this teaching, but Luke has more than any. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the... Luke 7, 13, the widow's son, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which is also clearly in Paul's theology, is richly embedded in the narrative and gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the what? Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, meaning John the Baptist. 
Luke 2.25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Luke 3.22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. Let's see if you can feel it. You are... Oh, I love hearing that. I love hearing that. And then one of my favorites, one of the most compelling evidences in Scripture that Paul and Luke shared theology. The Lord's Supper. Listen to this vocabulary. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That's Luke 22. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11. This is the one that I read when we celebrate the Lord's Supper every time we do it. Listen to the similarities. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Perfectly the same. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Word for word. Word for word. If you compare Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 with Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, I don't know if you've done that, if you've ever noticed that, but listen to this. Listen to the striking similarities. That, That name that we only hear in Luke and Acts is found here again. Luke chapter 1, verse 3, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Immediately, what do we recognize? Whoever wrote Acts wrote what? Luke. So if we can figure out who wrote Acts, most likely we'll know that that same person wrote Luke and vice versa. This is not just a bunch of helter-skelter craziness and guesswork that we do in the church of Jesus Christ with the Word of God. That is basically what the message that Luke is sending you. This is precise. This is trustworthy. This is accurate. It's the truth. Now, the world will attack it every which way they can. They will say that there's no possible way, there's errors in the manuscript, there's no way something's been passed down all, this, all these hundreds and hundreds of years. It, it can't be trusted. Not so. It absolutely can be trusted. And Luke gives us two of the most trustworthy documents in the New Testament. I don't doubt any of them. I'm speaking to anybody out there that may think they're not trustworthy. I know all of you believe the whole Bible's true. I believe that. But if you're a skeptic out there, please spend some time and read. Even secular sources recognize Luke's accuracy and credibility in both of his works. Hands down. Hands down. He was most likely a Gentile, which would make Luke the only Gentile gospel of origin. How interesting is that? 
Some evidence of that is he avoided just a couple of things. He avoided Semitic words and omitted various traditions uh, that, that dealt with intra-Jewish controversies. He actually references the Jews, which suggests he is not a Jew. Here's your favorite part, the part you've really been looking for. He was a doctor. Where's Lunders? Is he out there? He was a doctor, Bill. Did you know that? Yep, he was a doctor. You think, you think that they took their children over to his house like we take them over to your house? <laughs> Whenever they get bumps and bruises? I, I, bet, I bet they did. I bet they did. Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Luke's interest in healing, his interest in healing is evident from the fact that he recorded all the Markan healing accounts. So he obviously had the Gospel of Mark as a source, so he goes to the Gospel of Mark, which was, which was viewed as an inerrant document at that time, circulated by the apostles. He took that and he recorded, he took all the accounts of healing for Mark and he put them in Luke. We know that. And he shared with Matthew the healing of the centurion slave in Luke 7, verses 1 through 10, and had five healings unique to his gospel. The widow's son, the woman with the disabling spirit, the Sabbath healing, the ten, le the ten lepers, and Malchus' ear that Peter cut off in the garden that night when they, when they took Jesus and arrested him. So when you compare the synoptic accounts, the medical detail mentioned serves as evidence of a doctor's observations. Doctors better be observant, amen? That's why we go to them. I hope they're able to figure something out that I missed or that WebMD didn't tell us, right? <laughs> right. I mean, we'll be out there on the internet figuring out, well, you know, I don't know. It could be, this thing tells us it could be 15 different things. I guess we're going to have to go to the doctor because hopefully they don't miss things. Well, there's several things that are really neat here that, that, uh, that Luke gives us. Peter's mother-in-law, the fever that she had. In Matthew 8, in the Gospel of Matthew, it just says fever. In the Gospel of Mark, it just says Fever. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 3, guess what it says? High fever. Now, we might not think that that's anything particular, but I can promise you that a doctor, if you say, if you tell a doctor that my child has a fever, what is he going to say? Or she say, how high is it? A lot of difference between 99 and 102, amen? He notices that. The man with leprosy in Matthew it just says leprosy. In Mark, it just says leprosy. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, we have the, the addition full of leprosy. Meaning that not only was there just leprosy on the face or leprosy on the hand or leprosy on the leg, but where was the leprosy? All over the person's body, right? A doctor would notice that. He would make, he would make a note of that. The man with the withered hand, Matthew 12.10, he says withered. Mark 3.1 says withered. Luke 6.6, 6, you go to a doctor and say, I have a withered hand, what's the doctor going to say? Which hand? Luke says the right hand was withered. Details that only a doctor would notice. So all four Gospels portray Christ 
as the sympathetic physician for soul and body, and in doing so reveal that their authors too were men of tender compassion, nowhere is the trait more abundantly evident than in Luke's gospel. Church history also supplies numerous testimonies. I'm just going to give you two in the interest of time. Two that I found very fascinating. St. Jerome said this, Luke, a medical man from Antioch, was not ignorant of the Greek language. He was a follower of Paul and a companion in all his travels, and he wrote the gospel of Luke. Eusebius, the ancient Christian historian, wrote this. He said, Luke, by race an Antiochian, and a physician by profession had long been a companion of Paul and had more than a casual acquaintance with the rest of the apostles. In two God-breathed books, namely the Gospel and Acts, he left us examples of the art of soul healing which he had learned from them. Strange way of saying that, but I know what he meant, that Christ healed people and that it was recorded that he healed people divinely and miraculously. So inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things, of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certain certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So, just a couple points, then we'll wrap up, wrap up this morning. Well, actually four. <laughs> four points. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, all believers, as Luke did, all believers should make a contribution to maintain the truth. All of us are responsible for this. Luke took his very seriously. Luke was touched by the gospel. He was changed by the gospel. He had access to one of the greatest men that followed Jesus, although Paul certainly would not say that about himself most likely, had access to him and therefore used that connection to write Luke and Acts, the gospel of Luke and Acts. So he made a huge contribution to the truth of Jesus Christ. And all of us as believers, we have a responsibility. Now, we want to get away from it. We want to crawfish out of it. We want to hide from it. We want to do as little as possible. We just want to get our get-out-of-hell-free card and go sit and listen to some cool songs and talk about how great our pastor is and let that be it. But I'm sorry, that's not it. God wants you to make a contribution to the truth. Just like Luke did. Now, I don't, you can't write another gospel, okay? So don't go crazy with that. Nobody can do that. The canon is closed. But you can write a testimony about your life. You can live your life in a way among the people that you're with that say, I follow Jesus. You can serve. You can go on mission trips. You can teach a children's Sunday school class. You can, you can help in youth Sunday school. You can do all kinds of things to make a contribution. But all believers should, should undertake to make a contribution to maintain the truth. So the point of these opening verses is that Luke took it on himself. 
to take the time to document the life of Christ because this was a life-changing message for him and he wanted others to know about it. So the natural question here is many have undertaken. Well, I mean, who, who, who are these many that have undertaken? Well, we don't, we don't know exactly who he's talking about. We're pretty sure most historians and scholars agree that, that Mark and Matthew are, are certainly sources. Uh, you know, I mean, historians and scholars believe they were both used, and why wouldn't they be, right? If Mark and Matthew were available, why would not he use those sources? I mean, for heaven's sakes, I consulted, I consulted at least 10 sources. I mean, the Gospels, obviously the Bible, but also 10 other sources on inter for interpretive, interpretative guidelines on what I prepared for you today. So there's all types of people that have written about the Lord Jesus Christ. It should not be a surprise to us that many people have undertaken the task of writing about Jesus. Many still do so today, and most likely some of the accounts of Christ were as inaccurate then as they are today. There's a bunch of inaccurate things out there about Jesus. You can amen that, can't you? You can. So Luke determines to contribute his version of the gospel to complement and possibly correct the others. Now, I don't believe that he means by saying what he says in, these, in this opening verse that he thinks everybody else's account is weak. I don't think he thinks that. You could, you could read it into the text, but I think it's very simple that, that he wants to give his perspective, having known Paul personally and therefore having primary knowledge of what happened from eyewitnesses in the first generation of those who walked with Christ. So just imagine that. So he's on missionary journeys with Paul, and Paul is giving him all of this information about Jesus that he received from the other apostles and from, his, from his, the oral tradition that had come down. And so he begins to, to write the gospel of Luke. And the whole time while he's doing that, what's he doing? Experiencing in Acts what he will write about the book of Acts. It's really fascinating how that worked. Now let me, before we leave this point, let me ask the question. What contribution have we made to the gospel to help it live on to the next generation? What contribution have we made? Luke made a commitment to make a contribution, and his contribution was to use his close proximity to Paul to gain insight and information on the most important person that ever walked the earth and then write one of the longest, most detailed accounts of Christ in the church we have. What will you do to contribute to the gospel truth. That is a fair question. What will we do? Verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So the first apostles recorded what they witnessed. That's what they did. That's what, that's what Luke is going on. These first apostles, that first generation of Peter and all the, those guys, they, they recorded what they witnessed. And the easiest way to explain this verse is to reference another one. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Listen to this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it 
and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now you didn't, there, there was not a name listed in those four verses. Did you hear a name? I didn't hear a name. No name there. But who, who are Luke and John talking about? The first apostles, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. This is who he's talking about. He'll name them in just a little while. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. This is Jesus. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. I mean, do y'all remember, remember how this whole thing started? Y'all remember that? How did it start? Where did he go? He went to a fishing hole. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the Sea of Galilee and there chose come fishermen. And not, not recreational fishermen. What kind of fishermen did he choose? Commercial fishermen. How many of y'all hung out with commercial fishermen before? Man, they're tough dudes. I mean, I mean, I used to go recreationally fishing all the time with my dad and friends of his, and I'm going to tell you some of, the, some of the dirtiest words I ever learned were on fishing trips. And Jesus chose these rough-handed, manly fishermen. Later, Luke will call them untrained, unschooled men, meaning not that they were illiterate. Some people go that far. I don't go that far but meaning that they were not trained in the theological school to be rabbis. So it's almost like Jesus went completely the opposite direction and chose men that were blank slates. Commercial fishermen. Angie and I talked about this a little bit. Because I just, I just, you know, every now and then you ask those questions and they just won't go away. Why would Jesus choose fishermen? I said, man, most of the time they're temperamental and, and they're, they're but, but she went, yeah, but they're also really patient. Can you imagine going out there and fishing all day and catching another, nothing and going back again and fishing all day and catching nothing and going again and fishing all day and catching nothing? And I was like, yeah, I've done that a lot. <laughs> done it a lot. But it is just interesting to me, and I think it says so much about God that Jesus chose the initial few men that he called to give his truth to, the, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise that started back in the Old Testament to a bunch of fishermen. It's, it's absolutely amazing to me. These untrained men would become the foundational pillars of a worldwide movement that would change the way we understood everything. 
So you, man, I've said this before, you guys sitting out there that, man, just think you, ain't, you don't have any brain matter up there and you don't understand all this theological stuff and you don't understand this and you don't understand that. Don't, don't sell that to God because he chose you, basically. He chose you to be an apostle of his, to impart to you the, the world-changing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just flabbergasting. For we did not follow cleverly devised. This is Peter talking years later. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. This is a fisherman telling you this. A commercial fisherman is telling you this. And they had more stinking stories about sea monsters or anything else you could possibly imagine. That's why it struck so deep to them. This is not a myth. This is the truth. This is the truth. Next, our contribution must be precise and orderly. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Now, it struck me, your contribution, we see the apostles' contributions, we're talking about Luke's contribution, your contribution. The contribution, according to the Scripture, needs to be precise and orderly. So don't start talking if you're not kind of prepared on what you're going to say, okay, and make us look like a bunch of dummies up in the church, amen? I mean, I, mean, I mean, have a sense. If you don't know the answer, what do you do? I don't know. I'll call my pastor. Fine. But it must be orderly. And it hit me when I was, when I was studying this. The best example of this is where you are in Sunday school right now. Aren't we in Acts 10 and 11 right now? Isn't that right? Do you realize who wrote that? Luke. What was he writing about? He wrote about the Gentile Pentecost. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is still struggling with food laws, right? Still str- now, he's at Simon the Tanner's house, which is a good, was a good sign, because the Jews were not supposed to have any connection with dead bodies. And Simon the Tanner, what was he doing? Tanning skins from dead bodies. I mean, most people think he was somewhat of a taxidermist. So, so that, that, that discrimination was beginning to, to drop, but it wasn't fully there. So God sent a vision to Peter and sent a vision to Cornelius, this Gentile Roman centurion. Who put Jesus on the cross? Roman centurion. This Gentile Roman centurion. They sent people to, to, to Simon the Tanner's house, got Peter, brought him back, and then what happens? Yeah. The Gentile Pentecost, the Holy Spirit erupts, Cornelius' house gets saved. Then, I mean... This is kind of a big deal because normally, where do Jews not go? Gentiles' houses. But Peter went, because God gave him the vision, to Cornelius' house. And not only did he go, he went inside and he preached the gospel. And then what happened? People got saved. The Gentiles are included in the plan of God? What? 
So then where does he go? To the Jerusalem church. And he goes before the elders at the Jerusalem church. And he tells them the story. And what do they determine? God has accepted the Gentiles. They say, how how can we, if God has has saved them miraculously the, the same way that he has saved us, how can we not welcome them? How can we not welcome them? But the point of the whole story is, or what I'm trying to tell you is, that if you go to Acts chapter 10 and you go to Acts chapter 11, I will never forget this as long as I live. The first time I ever read those two accounts and I started reading Acts chapter 11, I'm like, this is the same stupid story. Why, why, is it, why, does, why does this book regurgitate? I mean, doesn't, doesn't he know that I just read this in chapter 10 and now he's given me this whole thing again in chapter 11? Yeah. For a real good purpose. In Acts chapter 10, he narrates the actual event. Then in Acts chapter 11, he goes to the Jerusalem church and he gives them the exact event that has happened almost word for word and then you get the interpretation of how they understood that event. Everything must be precise and in order. Do you see that? You've been dealing with us as ministers here for two years. You've been dealing with my shenanigans for two years. Amen? And have you not seen that most of the church-wide stuff that we do that affects all you, we try to, to, to hold by those bylaws in that constitution verbatim. Have you noticed that? Please say amen. Okay. We do that because it honors God. That's why. Because the church is supposed to be a place of order. His word is a thing of order. He is a God of perfection and order. And so his truth must be precise and in order, and your contribution needs to be precise and in order. Finally, finally, verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Our contribution verifies the truth of the gospel in our lives. The truth of the gospel in our lives. Do you realize nothing else really matters except that? I mean, you got to work and you got to eat, you got to have a home, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I get all that. I'm not saying that you don't live, but what I'm saying is the most important thing about your life as a Christian is that you leave some form of mark on this world for Jesus Christ. And so that when you die and leave this place, Everybody knows that you loved Jesus and lived for him. We're not looking for perfection. Nobody's looking for perfection. We're looking for willingness and effort and grace and mercy and love. So the number one most important thing in your life is to tell the truth about Christ. And the only way you can tell the truth is to be told the truth and believe the truth and then testify to the truth no matter the cost. The contribution that Luke made to the gospel has stood the test of time and has led untold numbers of people to Jesus Christ for salvation. Closing closing passage, 1 John 2, verses 18 through 21. Children, it is the last hour. 
And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So I hope that you are ready for the banquet of a lifetime over the next several months as we consume John 6 just came to mind. You can have no part of me unless you what? Eat my flesh or drink my blood. What does he mean by that? Consume his word. Amen? Amen. Uh, before we go to invitation, I want to say one thing. Um, I know there's several people uh, that are interested in joining the church right now at Parkway Baptist Church. We've been talking to several um, and what I'd like to do, we have a, this is actually an announcement for them, but I'm going to go ahead and do it now before the invitation. We have been trying for the past year uh, to begin a ministry here called Discover Parkway. Raise your hand if you've heard that term before. Okay. Discover Parkway is a, is a ministry to people that are interested in the church, to bring them in on a Sunday, to feed them, uh, where they get to know the staff, attend a Sunday school class, those types of things. Uh, so at this point forward, what we're going to try to do, we've got our first Discover Parkway is going to be the week after Easter. So my plan is to take everyone, if you are, if you are here today and you're interested in joining the church, I want to ask you to, to, uh, to sign up for that. I don't think we have a sheet today, but, but we will have a sheet or you can email me. Let me know if you want to come uh, to sign up for that. And then we will, we will have you come to Discover Parkway. And then from that point forward, we will bring people into men membership in a much more orderly fashion into the future. Now, during the invitation, if you want to come down here and pray, what do you do? Come pray. If, if, if the Lord Jesus Christ is convicting your heart and convicting your soul and you've never, you've never responded to him in faith and professed Jesus Christ as your Savior, th th this, is, this is that time for you. But if you want to join our church, I just want to ask, you just help me. We're going to try to begin this Discover Parkway process and it should work wonderfully for us as a body of Christ so that everybody that comes and joins our flock knows exactly who we are, exactly where we're going, and exactly how they can plug in and serve and make the what? contribution to the truth of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for the gospel of Luke. Lord, I thank you for, for giving me the privilege of teaching this book, Father. And it is a daunting task. Not that it's, it's hard, Lord, but it's just it's just to be the one that preaches your truth for it. it is just a weighty responsibility one that I take very seriously and you know that and Father I pray today as we close in this time of invitation if there's anyone here that, that wants to pray Father I pray that you put it in their heart to come down at the altar and pray if there's anyone here that, that has not tasted and knows that you are good Lord and is, a, is an unforgiven sinner Lord I pray that you would bring them repentance Father Bring them repentance. Convict them of their sins, Father. Help them know that, that Jesus, Father, has died and paid the penalty of your sin. And your wrath, your wrath has been turned from them, Father, as your blood pays for their sin and the sins of all. We pray, Lord, 
that someone today, either by live feed or here, would come to that place of repentance and faith. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand for a moment of response? Uh, wanted to give you some updates here uh, on prayer requests. Uh, first of all, Marty Luffman, as you know, was in a car wreck, and we have got uh, some meals going to him. If you would like to participate in that, uh, please let me know or let Anna know. Uh, Bill Matthews is, it could be doing worse. He has actually been somewhat, I mean, he's still critical, but he has really some, been somewhat stable uh, over the past two or three days. So your prayers have been effective. And uh, Karen is right by his side pretty much the entire time. Um, we will, we have, have you been getting updates on that? We've been trying to send regular updates, so please watch your flock note and watch your emails. Uh, Ron Coleman's surgery went fine, still having some, still having some, some issues, so he's going to go back uh, Monday for a follow-up. So please remember uh, the three of them in prayer. And uh, just watch your email and watch your flock note, and we'll keep you informed on all those. Have I forgotten anybody that needs to be mentioned? Anybody can ring out right quick. Okay, Colton. 
Just real quickly, and then we will wrap up in prayer. Uh, we have a worship experience for ladies. So all the ladies in the house, uh, you don't want to miss that. It's for 12 years and up are, are welcome to come to this. And it's this Saturday as well. So we're going to be having men in the morning. Then we're going to have ladies in the evening, okay? So that's from 4 to 6. Uh, hopefully you've seen flyers out in the foyer. Uh, you've grabbed one of those, talked to Nicole about this event. It's going to be a lot of fun for the ladies uh, to come together, to worship, to pray together. Uh, it's going to be a good time in the Lord. You don't want to miss that. Right, Nicole? Amen. There it is. There she goes. Gives a, get a shout out there. Uh, and I believe that is it. So I'm going to pray, and then you'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you again for this day that we've been able to come into this house and worship your name. Lord, we realize, God, uh, as ministers, that when we preach the gospel, Lord, we stand under your authority. And I'm so very thankful for Shelby doing that so well. Lord, submitting to your authority, studying your word, and bringing the word to us, giving us an excellent introduction to Luke. Lord, that we might understand your word better, O oh God, and, and that we might walk more faithfully in your ways. And so, God, please help us to do that. Lord, I, I plead that, that our hearts would be moved this morning as we've heard from the word, God, to go outside of these walls. And, God, to give our contribution to the gospel, Lord, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, starting here in Smyrna, O oh Lord, that we would be the light that we are meant to be, shining from this hill, O oh Lord, into our community and again into the ends of the earth, Lord. Help us to do that, Lord. And, and I think about the prayer requests that were just mentioned, the, our dear brothers and sisters that we love and care for so much. Lord, I know Bill has had a time, Lord. And, and there was a time there where we weren't certain if he would be with us much longer. And I thank you, God, that you are blessing him and that you are uh, hopefully, God, bringing him on the road of recovery and that, that our brother will be with us again soon along with Karen. God, I pray for her. I can't imagine watching her husband go through this situation, how, what, what has gone through her mind and her heart, anxiety, fear, anger, Lord, and I just want to pray for her right now, God, that you would give her the peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord, as she, as she deals with this situation. Lord, and I pray for Bill, give him strength, Lord, help him through this, give him endurance in a difficult time. Uh, we love all of our brothers and sisters and all of the prayer requests I'm not mentioning right now, God. We, you know them, and I pray that you would place your hand on them, O oh Lord, and help them to sense that your presence is near, Lord, and they can draw encouragement and love and care from you, Christ. We love you, uh, and it's in your heavenly and holy name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.